name is Ella Kate Marisi, and you are listening to More Than Child's Play with your host, my mommy, Lacey Marisi, and my aunt Nicole Surgeon. They're authors, therapists, and most importantly, mommies. And man, can they talk. So sit back and relax and learn from their village. We hope you enjoy the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the More Than Child's Play podcast. Thanks for coming back and joining us today. I'm your host, Nicole Surgent. I am very excited to talk to a physical therapist that I have a great deal of respect for today. Dr. Stacy Mentz is joining us. She is a pediatric clinical specialist and the owner of a great clinic named Starfish Therapies. Stacy received her master's degree at Boston University in 2000 and her doctorate of physical therapy at Boston University in 2005. She's the founder and owner of Starfish Therapies, which is a pediatric physical therapy company in the San Francisco Bay Area. Their mission is to make a difference in the lives of each child and family they interact with. Stacy also has additional experience as a teaching and lab assistant for Boston University, South College, Baylor University, and Chapman University's Doctor of Physical Therapy programs. She's presented at state and national conferences and teaches continuing education courses in physical in pediatric physical therapy. She is the editor of Impact, the private practice sectors ma- sections magazine, and is a board member for Wawos in San Francisco. She is involved in both her state and national pediatric physical therapy sections. Stacy consults with a variety of companies on how their products can enhance development in children, which I think is just really cool. She's also been interviewed on Sirius XM's Doctors Radio regarding pediatric orthopedic conditions, as well as profiles in leadership and start a therapy practice. And today we get to interview her for more than child's play. So thank you, Stacy, for joining us. Thanks for having me. So excited to talk to you about some really important things that should matter to parents and to therapists. But first, tell us a little bit about your practice and your clinic and ways that you engage in our profession as a PT. Sure. So our practice is a pediatric physical therapy practice. Um, Oh, wow. We started back in 2007. So, well, feels like a long time ago. (laughs) And um, I know we were talking earlier about the name. And so the name came from the star thrower story, I think by Lauren Eisling. Um, And if I got that name wrong, I apologize. But it's about, you know, the old man's walking down the beach, the tide is going out and there's starfish littering the beach and the little boy's throwing them into the water. And the guy's like, what are you doing? They're all going to die anyway. And he picks one up, the little boy picks one up and throws it in. And he says, but I made a difference to that one. And so that just like really touched me because it's so easy, I think. And even in right now with everything going on, it's so easy to like, feel like, there's too much for us to do or how, like, why, how is that going to change anything? And then it's nice to remind myself that what we do makes a difference to the child, to the family. And then we don't know how that ripples out in general also. So it doesn't always have to be grand scale. It's like, you know, the little things make a big difference too. Absolutely. I, I did a um, guest 
blog post back when blogs were a thing years ago for Starfish. And I remember reading that story on your website and just being like, this is a good therapist (laughs) or, you know, this is a good company. Their heart is where, where we should be as pediatric PTs. And I've been a fan ever since. We try. It's funny though. This is our first time talking face to face. I know. I know. And I'm excited about that. So I named our podcast, why climbing up the slide matters, a physical therapist tips on safety, awareness, balance, and motor learning. And I did that with a little bit of sarcasm Because we PTs are advocates for a certain amount of risk and for good reason. So can you talk to our listeners about that and why risk matters in childhood? Yes. Um, So the simple answer is risk matters because that's how safety awareness develops. So um, I just remember very early on one of my first PEDS jobs there was a little boy that like would walk and, you know, it was like kind of that falling walk, but like would just head straight into the wall or the door or whatever, because somebody was always stopping him and he never got to know like, oh, when I do this, it hurts or this could happen. And so it just kind of always stuck with me. Um, and so, and I, I have an almost two year old and it's, so interesting. Sorry, this is like tangent, but it's so interesting because I've been a peds therapist for years and you don't need to be a parent to be a good peds therapist, but my understanding has changed so much since becoming a parent and watching it 24 seven. Um, you know, I see him on the playground compared to some of his peers and he is a risk taker, but with safety. So he'll know that he can climb over the edge of something, but then it's funny because his feet will be this far off the ground and he's like, ah, (laughs) because he doesn't want to just drop, but it's like, you know, so I like that he knows like when he gets to an edge, I can just say like, you're at the edge and he's aware of what's happening. And what that also allowed him to do was to develop his balance reactions, um, you know, again, I remember teaching some therapists how to work on bike riding with kids. And we have a harness that we put on in the back so that we can kind of hold on. And one of our newer therapists at that time said, they're not even attempting to correct as she is clutching for dear life on their harness. And I was like, but you're not giving them the space to correct. Like, You're holding so tightly, they don't have the room to make any other decisions. So they're just going to go. And so it was really working on that. Like you have to give a little bit of bandwidth so you can start small, like let them have a little bit, just know that you can keep them safe, but like give them the opportunity to recognize that they're falling or they're off balance. Because that's the first thing that has to happen is they have to recognize that their body is in a different position than they want or a danger of falling before they can even start the processes to correct and maintain their safety. Correct. I'm so glad you brought up bike riding because I, when I worked in outpatient, an outpatient clinic, we had so many people come in and, and their main complaint, the main thing they wanted to work on was riding a bike. And then I would ask, okay, well, when you practice riding a bike, what goes well, what doesn't go well, what are your observations? well, we don't, we don't let them ride a bike because that's dangerous. And so that gets to that point of 
we have to try. Um, and I think, I think as a, you're right, when you're a parent and you're a therapist, you see it through two lenses together. And as a parent, I understand you don't want your child to get hurt. You don't, you know, you worry about serious injury. And so there is an internal instinct to protect them. But mm-hmm. as a therapist, you know, there's benefit in exploring. One time I worked on, I was asked to consult on an outdoor natural playground and I was so excited about it. And I spent all this time, I found all these great free resources of people who do this on low budgets around the world, which if you're a therapist, we can link all that stuff here in case you ever want to do that. But we had a company a, like a, a rock or shale company who was willing to donate ginormous boulders to our playground. And our thought was, you know, Kids, maybe a kid who's not super active might even just want to sit at recess and read or talk Mm -hmm. or, you know, some kids might want to climb on them. And it was denied because of safety and liability. I was able to purchase, which I didn't, a plastic rock from a playground company who made fake rocks, but I wasn't allowed to put an actual rock on the playground for liability reasons, which always drove me kind of bonkers about how our society has kind of moved kids away from natural, good, positive experiences, multi-sensory experiences with actual nature because of liability or risk when there's so much benefit in small amounts of safe risk. I agree. And, you know, we're lucky here, those, the botanical gardens, I think over the pandemic sort of created this like children's garden area. Um, And it's just, they have a stump jump and they have a cone zone and they have mud kitchens. And so like, we laugh, we go every Saturday and um, it's just, it's ever. Oh, it's amazing. And like, they have these things where they can like walk on like balance beams or like they have little stations set up for like yoga and like tells you where to go, what flowers and plants to smell. And I mean, it's yeah. so great, but yeah. So there's natural places to practice your balance. Yes. Yes. Sorry. We got away from that. No, no. I mean, but that's good that they, those places exist in nature. If we allow children to experience them, I read an article once more on the play-based educational side of things that when our parents let us climb trees, you know, there was calculated risk and the cognitive job of, okay, which limb am I going to move my foot to next? And the confidence building of, wow, I got to the top and to the bottom all by myself safely. And that there's even an impact on risk. I know we're talking about balance here, but even the avoidance of risk can affect social, emotional, and cognitive milestones because of the the pullback on those experiences, which is- Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, it's all part of the problem solving too. When you talk to parents and and you, how do you approach talking to them about risk or ways that you encourage them to bring sensible risk into their play routines? Any tips on that? Um, it varies family to family. Um, you know, this is a slight sidebar, but when I work with babies, I we've had families that are like, no, let them cry. And we've had families that like get mad that like don't want them to cry at all. So I usually start with like, I can handle crying. I can handle this. You have to let me know your tolerance. So like, I try to like put it back on the parents a little bit, but you know, we've gotten lots of questions of like where the kids sitting is a perfect example. You know, the kids that are just sitting in those 
the bumbo seat or things like that because they don't want them to fall, but they're also not developing what they need to sit. Um, and so, sorry, I'm like just thinking of how the best way I've, I've introduced it. And like, I've actually had pushback because I had one mom asking me about it, but her husband was against letting their child plop down from standing. And I was like, but that's like, they're built, like they're only this far off the ground and you're teaching them how to sit down, but that's how they're going to learn to refine the movement. And so like, what I do is I try to educate really is, and I start maybe with something small. Like if it's a really risk adverse family, I will give them something very like simple. So maybe it's, if the child's sitting, have your hands like a little bit away from them so that they can start to go, but you can still stop them. Yeah. Um, and lower I them sitting down. in a box. Let's just put them in a yeah. box. That way they can tip a little bit and learn to catch themselves, but you're not going to worry that they bunk their heads. Yes. You, know, you have a diaper box. Can we put him in the diaper? Yeah. Laundry basket is great yeah. too. Um, yeah. Just ways to introduce their safe ways to kind of try. Right. And I also tell them like to introduce it. So like the going downstairs or getting off of something, I'm like, instead of picking them up, like put them on their belly on the couch and help them down. Like you're still doing it for them, but you're teaching like you're at the edge. Here's how we get down. And I'm a big fan of giving words to what we're doing. So that way later you can give like, don't forget on your belly or. Yeah. And you know, feet first on your belly down the steps teaches you the spatial distance of the steps so that when you go to walk down the steps, you don't just Superman from the top because you know what that feels like that there's a, you know, there's a graded down step and you know how far it is because you felt it on your belly and with your hands for several months. And so it all builds. Yep. I also really work hard not to use the phrase, be careful. Um, because That's, that's good. I don't want, so like, even now we go to go outside of our building and, or down the stairs anywhere. And my guy's like, I'm like, I go to give him my hand. And he's like, no, no, you know? And I'm like, okay, you know, just watch what you're doing. Um, or yeah, if, or like, he looks like he's, you know, running. I might be like, you might want to slow down a little bit or he'll go to do something. He wants to jump off of something. He's not a real jumper yet, but like, I'm like, that's fine. It's a little bit hi so you might bang you know he uses like bang for everything if he bumps into something you might bang but you can try it and he'll like either then like want a hand or he'll try it but like I I'm not going to say like be careful you're going to hurt yourself like to become risk averse that he's scared right just like this this is fine this might happen but like you know my one friend told me there's a difference between getting hurt and getting injured and I I like that. Cause like, you know, like we can bang into something and it can hurt, but like, we're not injured. And so and I think babies who are learning to explore their environment, they do get bumps. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, I mean, I also have the bumps too. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, where did these bruises come from? <laughs> yeah. I'm still stubbing my toe a lot. <laughs> Can you talk to our listeners a little bit about balance and how it develops for the young child? What components or natural experiences are needed to kind of develop that balance system? Yeah, so there's 
three main components. Um, and feel free to jump in if I like mess something up. I still swear I'm on like pregnancy and mom brain sometimes. Um, I was saying that my kid just started daycare yesterday. So I finally can like focus a little bit better. Um, but so actually the vestibular system is one of the first, is the first fully formed system. Like you're born with a fully formed vestibular system and that the way that that inner ear. So there's like three circular canals that kind of look at movement in all the different planes, like forward, sideways, and kind of that more like diagonal rotatory. Um, and so what that is doing is it's helping tell where your head is in space. So, you know, if you're upright or, you know, that's why early on with babies, um, as you tip them, like you might start to see a writing response um, because they're getting the input that like, whoa, no, I, my head's not where I want it to be in relation to the ground. Um, and so that, like with us carrying them around, wearing babies, having them on their belly or their back or their side, um, that all helps to feed the vestibular system more information so they can start to make sense of the world. Um, you know, movement develops in the forward and back plane first, and then the side to side plane, and then the rotation last. Um, and so, you know, but if you think about it, that's why not having them in a stroller all the time or in a car seat all the time is so important because all that's doing is reinforcing that forward and back movement, which is already the first kind of movement to come about. And so they're missing out on some vital components you know, we joke around that roughhousing is so important and yeah. it's for, that's one of the reasons. And so there's ways to grade roughhousing based on the age. I still remember when my brother came to meet um, my little guy when he was um, first born and he's like handing him back to me like this. And I was like, oh, thanks. You know, and he's like, <sighs> And I was like, well, I, I also, I find too, like when I pick up someone's baby, especially a first time parent and, you know, we're so used to handling babies yes. and we know they're okay. And we know they're sturdy and yes. we're confident of what their bodies can do. And the parents are like, Oh, I'm like, they're good. They're fine. They're okay. It's okay. And right. you know, it, when you were talking, it made me think about, there's that study that says that children who experience rough and tumble play actually meet their motor milestones sooner and that's because that vestibular system yes. is the, the base of that pyramid of all other learning. So if you're not regulated within your vestibular system, everything else, you know, right. movement, exploration, communication, concentration, ev everything is off if you don't get movement, which is why I, I go insane when they take all the teeter-totters and switch. I know spinny things off of playgrounds and then get mad that kids don't behave. Of course they can't concentrate. Right. They're not regulated. And then we take their recess away because they haven't behaved. So that just makes it worse. And I could yeah. talk all day about that. It just makes me so sad um, to see like the disintegration of playgrounds. Although I, I do think some places are understanding the research behind this and starting to like reemerge a modern day old school playground. Yes, we're, we are having a ton of those here and we've had a bunch and they're adding more nature components in too, which is it's so awesome. good. Yes, yes. they just, they can't, they can't develop that balance system if they don't mm -hmm. have exposure to it. On that vein, and we, I know we could talk about this forever. I know, because we only talked about one of the three systems. Oh, go ahead. <laughs> no, keep going. Let's well, no, just really that. quick. I'll try to be shorter, but. No, the other good. 
proprioception and vision are the other two. And so proprioception, it's like, it's, there's little receptors in our joints that tell us where our body is. And so I talk a lot of times about body awareness, you know, like hand and foot play, you know, putting them in different positions, giving baby massage, um, that touch, you know, swabbling them to a certain extent, um, which that's another whole topic, but it's giving them that input. I mean, they started building that in the womb when they would push out and hit like the edges of their uterus. And so that's why sometimes babies that are really small or born prematurely, maybe they take a little longer for their proprioception and body awareness to catch up because they didn't get as cramped as some of the other kids did. Um, But so that's where we started to see like, oh, we are starting to like, you know, tip over or we're on a moving surface maybe. And so our ankles are correcting and stuff like that. And then vision, it's like us use what we can see, but vision evolves slowly with kids. Um, Also too, I mean, there's so many, um, we just updated some courses that we do for MedBridge about roadblocks mm -hmm. to development. And one of them is undetected vision loss. And I believe the statistic I can look it up is like one in five children will have some sort of something with vision, even if it's just a mild acuity being off the things that are more significant, but it's so common, but often unrecognized. So if, if you're a therapist and you're listening, um, and you know, you're having a kid who's really off with balance or body awareness, don't forget, don't forget to consider vision because it's more common then really, I think we all even remember to realize part of the time. I think that that's important. I mean, we had to have our vision checked a couple of times, my little one, because of different things. And so far it's okay. But yeah, I agree. But it's not like something that they just do automatically. Um, It's not an automatic. um, American Academy of Optometry actually recommends, which I didn't know this. I didn't do this with my children, but they recommend a full vision eval at six months like as just part of a screening process. Maybe that's because my kids are older and that wasn't a thing. Maybe more pediatricians recommend that now, but the recommendations I I read were structurally at six months and then um, like at three to four for acuity when they can read pictures or something on a chart. Interesting, yeah. So when we got referred, we did a like a virtual appointment first because it was during the pandemic um, where they said nothing looked, off from what they could see, but then they recommend it at a year to go in. And so, and other people I've heard have been recommended for one year um, when there's been a potential concern. And usually it's that like in pictures, the eyes are showing up like a little bit off, but like, and I think they also do it at a year because um, with babies and the skin folds and stuff like that, like it can look off, even though maybe that it's not. Yeah. Those are very unspecified terms because that's about what I understand of it. Oh, and and your timing is good to mention the information you gave about proprioception. I worked with a one pound warrior today who's now 18 pounds and she's up to taking 10 steps all over the place. And we were preparing for her annual review and her mom said, one of her goals was for her just to walk more fluidly and without falling so much because her balance is underdeveloped as a preemie. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she probably did have a lot of space in the uterus and didn't get that proprioceptive input. So we were actually talking about ways to give her some increased yeah. proprioception 
um, just to, it's interesting too. Her mom said, we can try things, but I'm going to tell you, even in the NICU, when she was so weak, the nurses would try to swaddle her and she'd get her way out of it. <laughs> well, and that's where I love the Ollie swaddle and I'm not like promoting a brand, but it's all Lycra. Yeah. So, and it's not binding at the legs or anything like that. So like in my mind, cause my kid was an escape artist, but like with this, like you put it down low on the shoulders, but like they're pushing and they're getting the feedback from the Lycra as well. That's what we want. So new parents, that's why swaddling matters. You're, you're helping their balance system and also calming their sensory system to rest more deeply. Yes. Um, with, and not all babies will like swaddling. So don't worry if your baby doesn't like swaddling, right. but um, there are benefits to it that are proven. Yes. Um, the other thing like that is an easy way to do it. And my little guy loves this. Like, it's just like squish him. <laughs> he, he thinks it's funny when I'm like, Oh no, I like fall on a fall on yeah. him. And he, I get up. He's like, ball. Yeah. Rolling the therapy ball on yeah. them. I know yeah, I have so. a 20 pound weighted blanket. <laughs> and I want a weighted blanket. I don't have one though. It was a Christmas gift. And even with angsty teenagers, when my kids have had a bad day, I'm like, all right, we're going to take a little essential oil bath. And then I'm going to wrap you up in this weighted blanket. And they're like, oh, I slept so well. <laughs> <laughs> it does. It puts you right to sleep. It, that's our experience in our house for sure. Yeah. And that's also, again, the rough housing and stuff comes in with that proprioception also, because it's, you know, usually there's touching or like, like leaning into things. So in, in addition to the vestibular, they're getting more of that input to their joints and their body. And the more they're aware of where their body is in space is going to help with the balance. Yeah. And if you have a kid, cause I know there are kids, my cousin was like this, that really like leans hard into you or, you know, is like climbing up your legs all the time to flip over or, you know, they sit on your lap and they're just digging into your sides. You know, that's a sign that they could be seeking out more proprioception and there are ways to help them meet that need um, besides spidering all over your body. Yes. <laughs> um, and then the other thing I wanted to add about vision though, is like, well, we talked about it, that tends to, for kids that have delays or challenges, it actually ends up becoming the overriding thing that they use to maintain their balance. And so if you take vision away, they don't have the other systems developed enough to give, to tell them what to do. And so that's why we really want to make sure they're getting the vestibular and the proprioceptive input because the vision's automatically going to try to take over. Right. That's a good point. It's, it's natural, it's there, and it's going to try its hardest. Yes. I know that you and I could talk about this yes. <laughs> like the of the week, this specific, this specific question, but motor planning and the balance, balance development with seats and containers for infants. <laughs> what are your thoughts? I mean, uh, so seats and containers do not help balance and motor learning. Their convenience. Um, there's actually been a bunch of stuff with a group on Instagram called under the hashtag free the babies, where we've talked about like, yeah, we've talked about like what containers aren't great or different things like that. Then we've also provided solutions for, you know, using containers. Like when we talked earlier about like, put them in a laundry basket or a box. 
you know, for sitting. Um, so I think a part of it is that parents think that these are going to help their child develop it, but using a, you know, a bumbo or anything like that's not going to help your child develop sitting balance because what they, while they might be able to keep the top half upright, they're not getting the ability to like, as their weight shifts, you have to do something at your hips as well as the top. And so they're missing that coordination of the different systems. Um, it impedes natural correction. Yes. Um, and then, you know, but again, I get it. Like now that I'm a parent, like I, I lucked out, like I didn't really, I had all of these stuff because like people gave them to me as hand-me-downs. I was like, well, I'm not going to get rid of it. I don't know what my child's going to be like. Yeah. And I ended up not needing to use the things I was okay with leaving him on the floor. Um, I always say there's the circle of being a therapist and then there's a circle of being the mom. And then there's the place where those circles intersect yes. where you realize that those things are needed sometimes for you yes. to take a shower or honestly to take a call or whatever. Mm -hmm. And the world isn't going to end if you use them occasionally. But my right. recommendation is always your child should spend way more time on the floor than in one right. of those. And then one of the things I recommend is that's what the pack and play is great for. Yeah. Yeah. You know, when I, um, when we started our company and we were writing, um, one, two, three, just play with me and sort of developing things. I reached out to um, the director of our physical therapy school, who is a pediatric genius, Dr. Mary Beth Mandich. And I was like, I, I really want your opinion and your mentorship. And she said, can you please say that the pack and play used to be called a playpen for a reason? Mm -hmm that that's what it was for, not for just sleeping at grandma's. It was for a baby to safely explore. And yes. that when we stopped using them as play pens, we started seeing problems developmentally. Yes. Yes. And it was like, absolutely. <laughs> so I bring that up whenever I can, um, because mm -hmm. you're right. And, and, you know, kind of as a nod to her because she's seen, you know, development, for decades now of young infants and children. And it, it's absolutely true. Oh, I completely agree. I mean, we, I used mine mainly when I needed to get him out, the, out of the room that I was trying to work in. And I had all of our annoying toys in there. Yeah. <laughs> like, so, well, and you know, I know you've probably seen this too. I can almost now spot it from far away. I'll, I'll get an intake on a child and it will say they're really, really good at sitting, mm -hmm. but they can't get in and out of sitting. They don't roll. They don't crawl. So basically they're good at being upright. And so when I go to the house, the first question I ask is tell me about your day. And almost always, and I'm not, I'm not blaming the parents because I think I even did this a little bit as a first time mom, you get all this stuff and it's in your house and you're just trying to survive. And the day will usually be like, well, they, they wake up and then we eat in the high chair and then we go on a walk in the stroller and then we run our errands in the car seat. And then we come back and have lunch in the high chair and then they go to sleep. And then we pick up the other <laughs> siblings in the car seat and I'll just say, when, when do they play on the floor? Well, we don't really have a lot of time to do that. Or the dog is, you know, kind of, again, that's why you, that's why the pack and play is there, but right. um, 
there's then they sort of like this light bulb goes off of like, oh, well, they don't really get to practice being in a position other than upright. So no wonder they're really good at being upright. And no wonder mobility and transitions are really hard. And as that relates to balance, like you said, if you don't get to practice being in other positions, you're not going to be effective at being Mm -hmm. in other positions. So that's simplistic, I know, as an explanation for parents, but I think most pediatric therapists would agree that that's the reason why you shy away from them more than you use them. Agreed. But again, like we said, we get it. Being a parent is hard, but it's, I think that making the time, the purposeful time for floor play. Yeah. Um, I always say, if you're going to go switch the laundry, put them on the floor. If you're going to go, you know, whatever, type something quickly, send an email, put them on the floor, you know, with you there, of course. But that way, all those little minutes add up. It doesn't have to be like, it's 1045. It's time for physical therapy. You know, we're going to do X, Y, and Z. But those little minutes add up. And oftentimes, you know, I live and work in an area with very um, diverse population socioeconomically. And I go to houses sometimes where there's not literally nothing for the baby. There's not, there's not a swing. There's not a seat. There's not a blanket. There's not a book, like literally nothing. Um, And oftentimes those kids meet their motor milestones faster Yep, because they don't have anywhere to go, but to crawl out, crawl away and stand up. (laughs) Oh yeah. No, I know. That's like, I, this is, I hear parents a lot of times say, well, like my child just likes to stand and I'm like, okay, but how do they get to standing? Well, I put them in it. Okay. Well, make them move to get to standing. You know, I mean, that sounds very simple, but like, don't just put them in it. Like help them to get there. If they're motivated, they'll get there. So exactly. that's interesting. So the hashtag is free the babies. We'll all have to follow that. I love that. Yeah. Um, and we do like, we've done, it's a bunch of different Pete's accounts. Um, I didn't start this. Somebody else reached out and I was like, sure. You know, um, we did one for like summer fun and a lot of it was like outdoor things. Um, but we've done like three different series. So it's really, really great. Yes. Um, tell us a little bit more about where our listeners can find you and, and continue to learn from you. Cause I know that you have a lot of good stuff to share, but some people may be new to your practice and to your pages. So where's the best place to find you? Yeah. Um, the best place to find us would be just our website, starfishtherapies.com. Um, because on there it has, you know, you can go to our blog, you can go to our shop, um, where we've created some fun motor programs. Um, we have links to our social media. We have tons of videos on our YouTube channel. Um, a lot of them are of my little guy. <laughs> now I almost wish I had another one because I'm like, oh, I didn't get that captured. It's nice when you have your own and you don't have to worry about consents or putting someone else's kid on the internet. I'm like waiting for someone else in my family to have a baby so I can get some good examples. <laughs> I know. I know. My friends, my, I have a cousin that I'm always like, do you have any videos of your kids doing this? I mean, they're older than my son, but like, yeah. I have a few people that I like go to for when yeah. I need a specific example. But yeah, so our website is a great like starting point just because it does have links to all of our, so we're on Instagram, we're on Facebook. And if someone's uh, listening that's in your area, you treat what ages? Zero to 22. Um, and we say 22 because that's what the school district goes up to, but we've also had kids that are a little bit 
kids, young adults um, that maybe have cerebral palsy or Down syndrome or things that need to come in. And as long as Medicare is not their primary, we can continue to see them and would have no problem doing that. Um, yeah, our, our main office is in Burlingame. So just near the San Francisco airport. We also do do telehealth um, and virtual appointments as well. That's wonderful. Okay, we ask every person who's been on the podcast this. We just say the mic is yours and this can be serious or funny. It could be related to physical therapy or it can be completely not related to physical okay. therapy. But what would you like our listeners to know today? Oh, um, I think I would like them to know and we sort of were talking about this earlier, but this is the stage of my life I'm in that the days are long, but the years are short. Yeah, so true. Um, it's so and true. it's a constant reminder and that self-care is important. Yeah. You know, it's funny. Um, I'll tell you, one of my favorite answers that we've gotten to that question was from an OT who talked about sensory. And, you're, and she said, your kid can have sensory challenges, but he's he or she is not allowed to be a jerk. <laughs> It's just <laughs> that's a awesome. lot of times, whether it's therapists or we've had some parents of special needs kids. And that answer is probably the most consistent answer about self-care. And I think if you work anywhere in our orbit, either as a parent or a therapist or a teacher, or basically anyone who would be interested in listening to this podcast, I think that theme is really, really important. And it, it keeps coming back up about self-care. It is because, I mean, it goes back to the airplane, put your own mask on first. Cause I am, and I recognize that like, I'm no good to my child or my staff or my patients. If I am depleted. I'm sure. What's your favorite thing to do for self-care? Um, what are the, the regular couch. things you do? Um, lay on the couch and read a book. Yeah. Reading is good self-care. I, I love reading. And I think I'm like, and I haven't been able to just like, like I was saying, I daycare started yesterday. I took the day off and it's the first time in two years that I've had nine hours of not parenting and not working. And I was so excited just to be in my apartment with nobody else here. It was quiet. Your yes. reading days are coming. You will be able to read leisurely. Yeah. I just didn't want to have to have an ear out for somebody else. Like I just wanted to truly know that I was only responsible for myself in those moments. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think too, during the pandemic, even if you don't have younger kids, you know, families are living, whether you're a, you know, a two person family or a 12 person family, everybody is spending still more time in the same space. And yes. I it's quiet is nice sometimes. It is. And also like when he's out of the house, I know quiet is not bad also because we've had a one pound, we've had a Costco sized bag of sugar dumped everywhere, an entire container of uh, diaper rash paste smeared everywhere. And you parents out there, it should go up where there's like medicine secure because it is the most water insoluble thing ever. So like hard to clean up, right? Yes. So, you know, like I'll be working and I'm like, oh, getting so much done. And then I'm like, oh, it's really quiet. Where did he get to? Safely taking risks, Stacey. Yes. Well, no, I know. It just is more for me to clean up, but it's fine. I yeah. Mean. His risks result in, in messes. Well, yes. thank you. Thank you for taking the time. I know you're so busy and we really appreciate you sharing your expertise and your knowledge with us. 
Um, we will certainly share this with all of our listeners. Um, we'll provide links to anything that we talked about. Um, as always, we are a small podcast. So if you can follow us and if you like us, rate us, that'd be great. Um, and you can always find us at milestonesandmiracles.com for some free information, links to old podcasts. And of course, one, two, three, just play with me. Um, so thank you all for tuning in and thank you, Stacy, for, for joining us. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I was excited. Everybody take some time to let your kids climb up the slide today. Okay. Yes. We'll see you next time. Thank <laughs> you.